This is going to be fun. I just thought for people who love cartoons, now Jerry Beck, animation historian, cartoon producer, book author, and editor, blogger between cartoon research and the animation scoop. This guy knows his tunes. Hi, Jerry. How are you? Oh, uh, I'm fine. <laughs> cartoon guru. You've got lots of books. I've written books. And some of them were works for hire, and some of them were, you know, ideas that I wanted to do, like a Looney Tune guide and a feature animated guide and things like that. You know, and I did some books on Hanna and Barbera and Nickelodeon and Warner Brothers Looney Tunes, a couple of those, and uh, all different types of a fifth. The one book called The Fifty Greatest Cartoons, and thing. But I've had this insane Forrest Gumpian career where I've, you know, I've done everything in animation except animate and even then i went to school to animate and I, I i this was in the 70s so there was no industry at that time practically so uh the, you know it was kind of a lost cause so i went into everything else from film distribution ultimately to producing uh, i've done i've done everything you can think of all around it and then of course writing the histories and now i'm teaching at cal arts and uh, several other schools and i do a lot of compiling particularly for Warner Brothers, a lot of the D Blu-rays and DVDs like Popeye and uh, Tom and Jerry and, uh, and Tex Avery and Hanna-Barbera films. And I, you know, I write the package copy and I put the things together uh, as a freelancer. You know, I, I do that kind of stuff. And I've done it with other studios as well, like Universal with Woody Woodpecker and consulted to Disney. And I can go on and on and on if I think about it long enough. But one of my big claims to fame it was at one point in my distribution career, I had a little company for, I was involved with it for five years and a partner kept it going for another, you know, five or six or seven years. And that was a small company that most people have never heard of called Streamline Pictures. But our big claim to fame on that was uh, we distributed that anime film called Akira, which was a big deal. Uh, and it's still oh, yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and the, uh, and I, I've been doing blogging since at least the year 2000. So it's 20 years or so. I, I did it before they had a name for it. Yeah, it actually, it's funny. It sounds like a heart condition, <laughs> you know, but, but I got to say that you're really kind of known now. Jerry Beck is writer, animation producer, college professor, and the author of more than 15 books on animation and cartoon history. So as your film production, why don't we kind of just start right there for a moment? Because maybe some of the people that are listening Maybe they don't really have a handle on what it is that you've had your hand on, but I'm sure the cartoons and the shows of the series that you've been involved with, they probably would, would well known. Aren't you kind of known for your work on uh, like the Baby Huey show? I remember Baby, <laughs> Huey. Baby Huey was from back in the novel tunes and the Harvey, right. the Harvey, the Harvey tunes day. So how did you get thrown into something like the Baby Huey show? Well, um, that was a lucky break. I, the way I look at it, I wasn't kind of thrown into it. I, I, I was and I, and I wasn't. I'm a big fan of all the old classic Hollywood studios and all their characters and all that stuff. And so I, I have a, an affinity for the, the studios that most people don't like. You know, again, I'm talking about major cartoon fans who, of course, love Disney and Warner Brothers and MGM cartoons and maybe a few other things, but, but studios like uh, Paramount that had Baby Huey and Casper, and also the Terry Tunes that did Mighty Mouse and Heckle and Jekyll, those are kind of the bottom rung studios. That said, I find myself fascinated 
in, in those studios. I can agree that there's a lot of things that I wouldn't do the way they did it. And on the other hand, I can see some good things in those studios. So at one point in my strange checkered career, that was right after I left Streamline Pictures. When I left the, uh, the little distribution company I had with a partner, and I decided to go off on my own to fame and fortune in other ways. I didn't want to just be stuck with Japanese animation. I love Japanese animation, but I didn't want to be pigeonholed with that. So after we had accomplished all the initial goals of that little studio, I went out and sought my next thing. Luckily for me, I had a book to write, which was the 50 greatest cartoons. And that, that was what kept me busy immediately from le leaving that company. And then I got a call from somebody involved with Harvey Comics. And Harvey Comics used to be in New York. I was now in L.A. I'm an ex-New Yorker, but I, I was in L.A. And amazingly, Harvey Comics had moved to L.A. And they were exploiting, they had new owners, and they were exploiting the properties. They made that Steven Spielberg Casper movie, came out of that. This is the mid-90s. And uh, the Richie Rich movie with Macaulay Culkin they were doing right. Right. They were looking at all the properties. It's kind of like today with Marvel. They're looking at their, their, their deep bench, you know, of, of, you know, there are lots of characters they've created over, you know, 40 or 50 years. And so uh, similarly, uh, the Harvey people were looking at that and somehow they thought the baby Huey would be a, a something they can put into TV syndication. They had a, a great idea. The idea was we'll make one new cartoon per half hour and we'll show two oldies. We'll show one old baby Huey cartoon and we'll show uh, one novel tune, like you said, like some other thing. And strange, so I got hired because of my rep at that time. I got hired to come in and start putting together the, uh, the older cartoons for, that we would use in the series. And while I was doing that, uh, there seemed to be some fighting, some infighting between uh, the Uber, you know, management on high and the person who was actually starting the production of the show. And they let that person go. And they literally came over to me and said, can you produce? And I go, yeah, I, I just said yes. You know, and I, and the next <laughs> thing you know, I'm, I'm the producer or the executive producer or something of the show. And that was, it was a great experience. Uh, my friends at Carbuncle Cartoons, they're, uh, they were the, one of the animation studios behind the, the best episodes of Ren and Stimpy in the early 90s. And th today they're doing the, 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 some of the animation for the best episodes of these new Looney Tunes cartoons that are on HBO Max. But a uh, great studio up in Canada. And they were friends of mine. And, and so I got to go up to Canada. I got to go sit in on recordings. We actually hired the 85-year-old or maybe older guy who was uh, Sid Raymond, who was the original voice of Baby Huey back in the 50s. And we hired him. He was in retirement in Florida. And we flew him up to Vancouver, Canada to record. And But it was the, one of the greatest weeks of my life because I, I, I feel in my head I've got a Neil Simon play based on that experience because, you know, a young guy who's thrown into being a producer, spending the week babysitting with this older guy who was in vaudeville and he's showing me all of his photographs he brought everything with him like 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 here i am with gypsy rose lee you know and that kind of thing and it was just a, a great experience and then going with the records with him and and that was just a and i became his friend we were friends i, I later uh, probably a year or two or three later i 
visited my family in Florida and visited with Sid at that, you know, there. And I actually met him in New York at one point. So we became friends. Good that's, guy. That's really great. Now you mentioned somewhere in the, in the nice long thread there with the Looney Tunes thing, just arbitrarily, but you were also known for irreverent imagination, the golden age of Looney Tunes, which I guess came well, out. Those are, that's a documentary that was done for one of the Blu-rays or DVD sets. You know, if one looks at my IMDb, you'll see that I'm on a lot of documentaries that are on a lot of cartoon sets. This is interesting. I mean, now look, the, the major studios have come to you, obviously, throughout your, your loop. Not only have you been an animation producer and, of course, as a writer, you also teach as a college professor. But this is what's curious to me. As the author of more than 15 books on animation history, number one, that you find the time in a lifetime to get that many books out. But where do you find that time to be able to, number one, decide how you're going to get into the, one of the next topics that you're going to write about? And I also find it interesting that besides your proclivity to go out there and become very prolific and get the next whatever the topic on the next franchise is going to be, that is cartoonism at its most iconic benchmark, Mm -hmm. uh, even the major studios seem to come back to you. Like, why can't Warner Brothers go back into their own archives to come out with the golden gems of the best Looney Tunes? Sounds like they've got to go out of house and they have to work with you as a consultant because they can't do it themselves. What, what is that that makes you so unique and <laughs> shall we say better at it as a cartoon historian than what they can do in house? Well, I think in retrospect, now that I'm older, I still think I'm 20 years old in my head, but I, now that I'm an older person, I've gone through this time trip of the last uh, 40 years, let's say. Part of that answer is, I got, I, is that I was involved with this early. Today, there's a lot more people who are interested in the subject of animation, animation history. Schools are all teaching animation history now. So I think that I was an early person on the scene. I There were definitely good friends of mine, colleagues who are still around today who were uh, doing it, but it was very, very few. I think in some cases I advocated and or pushed for the doing of these things. I mean, I can, you're right. I mean, there's a mistake that a lot of us think and still younger people today think today. And I, I thought myself maybe in, in the 1970s that, you know, companies like Warner Brothers, they know, they know what, they know their history. They know their cartoons. They, they're putting together the Bugs Bunny show. They must know I found out they don't. I found that out later that, uh, hmm, they don't actually. Now, now, one company that does is uh, Disney. Disney has a lot of great, knowledgeable Disney people, and they have a Disney archive. They, they know what they're doing at Disney. They have it figured out. That's why they can do Disney+. Plus. Most of the other studios don't. Now, it's changing. There's more people who know about this stuff there. I mean, in some ways, thanks to me, you know, and all the, the DVDs I did and all the uh, audio commentaries I've done and all the books that I've written, there's a, more, there's a lot more knowledgeable people out there. But back in the day, you know, nobody cared. And I, again, I can go off on so many little stories here, but I still remember when I was pitching the first book, let me give you a little chronology. What happened was, in a nutshell, because I've said this, I've actually explained this to others, I lucked out. I was in New York. I was a big fan of cartoons at a time when nobody really was. Comic book conventions were like secret. They were like, 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 um, uh, oh, uh, speakeasies. They were like speakeasies. <laughs> you knock on a door and go, you know, Marvel number one or, or action, you know, Detective 27 and they let you in, you know. 
it was weird. Uh, it was a weird early period where like, if you were over the age of 12 and you liked comic books and even worse, animated cartoons, you were really looked at as like a weirdo. I mean, really, really a weirdo. Like, like I, I, <laughs> I, have to, I, I have to add to this because I don't think you know this about me, but at one point in my not that much younger than you life, yeah. I was married into the Archie Comics oh, really? family. Oh, cool. Uh, Michael Silberkleit, who, oh, yes. who was very much uh, the publisher of Archie for the mainstay years, was my father-in-law. Oh. And what I remember talking about with Michael so much was his presidency at the time of the American Comic Book Publishers Association and his talking about what they did to get yeah. comic books onto the supermarket checkout lines and make them clean and wholesome and viable because as even as you are saying... There was a time historically that if you read comic books and if you right. were over a certain age, they looked at you as somewhat of a <clears throat> kind of a darkness or like as a pervert or right. something. Right. So throwing that back to you, please carry on. All right. Yeah, no, I totally know all, I, I don't know everything about that, but I do know about the comics code and what he did and, and uh, MLJ. And so unbelievably I had caught uh, Leonard Malton. Leonard Malton had written several books in the 70, early 70s, the great movie shorts, movie comedy teams, and which I, I devoured. I love these books. And then he did a book called The Disney Films, which was a, like a listing of all the Disney features mainly, and, and a list of the cartoons as well. And I said, wow, this is fantastic. I remember buying these right off the news, newsstand, the bookstore, when they first came out in the early 70s. And I'm thinking, this is great. This guy really... And then one day, uh, again, I'm in New York, I'm in Queens, and I'm looking at the Village Voice, and I see there's an advertisement for uh, classes at the new school, and one of them is Leonard Malton on History of Animation. I'm like, wow, I got to meet this guy, and I, this is my subject, and I got to see what's going on here. And it was a real college course. It was a college course. I was in college. I was at, well, I was at the School of Visual Arts trying to be an animator at that time. And I went down to the new school and I said, what do I do to enroll? I just want to take this one class. How do I do that? I had to pay some very large tuition fee, which I've now forgotten. It was, it was like a couple of hundred dollars, but I didn't care. And I didn't have the money, but I had to do this. I had to meet this guy and I had to see this class. But I, I, I met Leonard Moulton and uh, we became fast friends. And before you know it, he didn't want to do a book, even though he's teaching a class on, on animation history. He didn't really want to write a book about animation history. But long story short, I, I, I feel I helped talk him into it. So I started working on it with him in the late 70s. And in 1980, a book came out called Of Mice and Magic. And it's still in print. You can still buy that book. And I'm the research associate of that book. And Leonard is the author. And it's a really, really, it's a seminal book about the history of American animation. I was a big part of it. And, and we all, we, I remember us thinking when, we, when that book was done that that's the end of that, move on to the next subject. And what happened is it's been the, the next subject was the rest of my life. It's never ended. You know, <laughs> we've constantly found new things. The one thing I wanted to do that we didn't do in Of Mice and Magic was in his previous book on a movie comedy shorts, he'd like list the Three Stooges and the uh, Laurel and Hardy shorts and things. And he'd have the title of the film and what, when it came out, the release date, and then the director, and then he would, and maybe who the guest stars in it or supporting casts were. And then, and then you'd have like a one-line plot synopsis. And I thought that's great because how else would you know which Three Stooges it was if, if you didn't see the plot synopsis? So when we were doing Of Mice and Magic, we were going to put in a big filmography for all the studios, for all the cartoons. 
And I said, Leonard, so, you know, I'm happy to start working on the plot synopsis. And he's like, well, when he goes, that's going to take forever. And uh, the publisher, and it's apparently the story was the publisher felt that would add an extra signature to the book or something like that. And they didn't want to go that far. And I was very disappointed. All we did was list the titles basically in the director and the release date. And that's all we listed in of Mice and Magic. But I wanted to go further with a little bit of the plot and that kind of thing so that you can actually tell which Roadrunner was which, which Bugs Bunny had this in it. You know, you just, you can't tell by the titles, you know, uh, the, the, some of their titles are just fresh hair. You know, what, what happens in fresh hair? That's the Mountie one, but you wouldn't know it. So me and a friend of mine, a guy named Will Friedwald, he writes about jazz now for the Wall Street Journal, and he's written several books, many books on jazz music and Sinatra and Tony Bennett and on and on and on. He's, he's really an expert on that. I knew him when he was a teenager back in those days. And we got together and we said, let's start doing, let's do like a paragraph on every cartoon so that we know what's in the cartoon. We need a reference for that. Again, this is all pre-internet, pre-IMDB, you know what I mean? Pre, we didn't have these things. You can just look them up today. Like we have today, it was for a book. You know, we figured it was a good reference book. So we spent about a year working on a little book, a little guide to the Warner cartoons that basically had a very brief plot synopsis of each. And then we found out that nobody would publish it. And Warner Brothers wouldn't give us any permission for images or anything. And we ended up finding this very tiny publisher that only sold to libraries and schools. And that was, they're still around. They're called Scarecrow Press. Oh, yes. And we went to Scarecrow Press and they said, sure. And they just took our manuscript, which in retrospect, even the year it came out, I was like, oh my God, this needed to be edited. It's, it's kind of a mess. And I was kind of, kind of a little embarrassed about it, but, but it was kind of a big hit. Like people who wanted it now had this book. And we didn't know who would want a book like this other than us. We knew we wanted it, but we didn't know who was out there. There was no Facebook. We didn't know there was any community in the animation world. We just knew it was something we, we wanted to do. So that said, about eight years later, maybe, maybe less than eight years, something like that, eight years later. So I had moved to LA and I'd gotten to know the people at Warner Brothers and I'd gotten to meet Chuck Jones and Bob Clampett and Frizz Freeling, all the animators who were still alive. I didn't meet Tex. He died in 1980. I actually went to Tex Avery's funeral. I got to know the people at Warner Brothers and the, the directors like Chuck Jones were like, I kept telling him, I really want to redo this and do it right because it's kind of a mess and we didn't have any pictures. Plus we realized that we, there was a cartoon missing and you know, there was stuff, other things we wanted to put in it that we didn't put in it. And so with the help of people like Chuck Jones, you know, and nice people at what was the Warner Brothers animation at that time, all they did at that time was they, they were just doing TV specials and things. And they did things like the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner movie and things like that. They put in a good word for us because they, they themselves wanted what I was pitching. They wanted this master reference of all their, of their library. They didn't have that. So I was willing to do the work. Uh, I would, you know, probably back then I was willing to do it for free, but if we can get a publisher and give us some money, that would be great. And uh, they helped us get a publisher. And we did the second version, which is called Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies. That came out in 1989. That was kind of, I call, I consider that in some ways the beginning of my book writing career from that book onward, even though I had those previous things. I was also writing articles for fanzines and 
that kind of thing at that time. Yeah, um, and, and, and that kind of is the other thing I want to touch on, because not only do you have, you know, you're better than 15 books that have spanned everything from the animated movie guide, you've got Looney Tunes, the ultimate visual guide, and then you've got the 50 greatest cartoons. Yeah. And, and, you know, you've got books there on SpongeBob SquarePants. You've got some things that were like, whatever the next real serious acts in the tree of animation, you had a book out on it. And they're all, of course, available at the usual suspects, you know, whether it's at Amazon or what have you. But aside from that, yes. you also keep your hand in being an editor and a writer for two very, very popular animation blogs, which are Cartoon Research and then Animation Scoop. You're the editor-in-chief. Well, yeah, they're just my little blogs that I've been, you know, working on. Like, like anybody today. I mean, I just I work on them out of my out of my house, out of my apartment. You know, it's like not it's not like there's a big company. That said, I have writers uh, that uh, write for for them. In the case of Animation Scoop, that's kind of an well, I call it that an industry blog. That's basically it's everything from press releases to obituaries of of prominent animation people to. Uh, interviews mainly interviews with what's going on now you know whoever's directing you know uh, we're going to have a you know interview with uh, Pete Doctor whose new Pixar film Soul is about to come out and so we'll have an interview with him we have interviews with everybody who do who do all the animated features and a lot of the TV series and I'm leaving out what else is there but we we do a lot of stuff on that on that blog the other one is more of my hobby blog I call it it's there's I, anything that looks like advertising on there is uh, not paid for. It's just me plugging things that I like. That's really a, a labor of love kind of a blog uh, amongst me and my my writers on it. We now, just which, love which, which one is which in terms of which one is the uh, uh, for, for the trending industry and the other the one? Trending industry is Animation Scoop. And the labor of love uh, history blog is Cartoon Research. And... I mean, I made up the name Cartoon Research back in the 90s, way before I was ever on the internet. It was, it was, I was, it was going to be the name of a company. Actually, it is a name of a company. I have an LLC for Cartoon Research. It's a, a company I started for purposes of having a company for freelance writing and stuff. And uh, it just, you know, it just became the name of the blog. I mean, I'm kind of proud of it because there's a lot of new research and a lot of interesting, it's like now, we started the version of Cartoon Research that you see today started in 2013 and that's the version that exists today where we have like an article five days a week we have a new article by some some of them may be of no interest to people and some are incredibly interesting and it was sort of a it was sort of a newsy and research blog it was sort of a combination of the two it was a different animal one confined but it was a little bit different and then around 2003 i started a blog with a fellow animation enthusiast, a, a guy named Amid Amidi, I'll give him credit. And we started a blog called Cartoon Brew. I don't know if you ever heard of that one. Oh, of course. Yes, I've been there a few times. Okay. Car well, Cartoon Brew was me and Amid Amidi. That was our blog. We were 50-50 partners. For, for me, it was for nine years. And nine years later, we, uh, we had a divorce and he got the child. No, he got the blog in our divorce. But that was, believe me, believe me, I'm delighted with the way we split up. So he continues it to this day. And I had, I didn't have a compete clause or a non-compete clause. So I immediately started Animation Scoop and I reverted cartoon research to a new version of what it was before. I had it on hold for like nine years. It was just there. 
And I would just say, uh, it, people could go to it and you can read old articles and I would tell people, you know, go to Cartoon Brew, that's where I am now. That's very, very cool. So before we get ready to wrap, and I want to point listeners to where they can find you via all of your blogs, via to go get your books, you know, whether they're at Amazon or what have you. But I do have a question for you because you've been at this for such a long time. And it is that third party perspective. It's kind of like I used to say, chiropractors don't crack themselves. They have to go to another chiropractor to get them their best crack. So it's kind of like, why, do, why did the studios come to you to put the compilations together? And you've already explained it. Disney had great library, great archive, great respect and reverence for their own catalogs. Yeah. Other studios I mean, I, mean I, also, I also pitch, you know, uh, I did a Woody Woodpecker. I did two sets of, uh, I don't even get credit on it, uh, but uh, two sets of DVDs, Woody Woodpecker and Friends Universal. I, I, you know, I was already doing it at, at Warner Brothers. And this is just one example. And then I decided, I'll just call up the, people at Universal, president of their home video. And they, they took a meeting with me. I came in, I showed them the Warner Brothers stuff. And I said, gave, I told them what they owned. They didn't know that. And so we ended up putting out a, two really great sets. We, I really want, there was a third set that's, it was really meant to be a trilogy, but we never got that far. I don't, we only got the two, but, but I do that all the time. I'm doing it right now. I'm constantly talking to studios about basically restoring their library. We're in a different world. We have different high def with Blu-ray and you know high def televisions, 4K TVs and things like that. They need to restore their assets, their library. And Warner Brothers is doing it now. Disney's been doing it. Of course, now with these new streaming services, they, they kind of want to do it. Well, that's, where, that's what I was going to ask you, given your history. Yes. Knowing all things past, you must have a sense of what's coming up in the future. And it sounds like you're about you're leading right into that topic that I was going to ask you. What do you see on the horizon? What are you working on? And where do you see the movement of cartoons in general if we all survive the next 20 years? Where do you where do you see us going in terms of the cartoon world? Well, I have a obviously a, a good uh, perspective on it, partially because I teach and partially because I, I'm meeting the future of animation in, in the schools that I'm teaching. And I'm very optimistic, let's put it that way. What's interesting to me and wh what I see happening is, it, first of all, there's more people learning about animation, learning to do animation, doing it at home. We have access to the materials to do animation that nobody had in the past. So I think we're going to get a lot more voices, and that means more visuals and more visions in that field. I think a lot of students are, there's an industry that's going on out there, but it's, it involves computers and a lot of the movies you see. But there are a lot of people both making the movies now and the people and the students that, that really want to go back to hand-drawn animation. They want to go back to stop-motion animation, uh, the, 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 the real craft of animation. That's the beauty. A lot of people who aren't in the schools or don't know what's going on, don't see that. But I see that we're going to get back to that eventually. It's going to happen. It's bubbling under the surface right now. There's a lot of great stuff going on. My friends, Chris Miller and Phil Lord, Lord Miller, they're the guys who did the uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse movie. They, they did Lego movie. They did Cloudy with His Chance of Meatballs. Those guys are like, I mean, I don't like the, I don't throw this term out at all ever, but they're cutting edge. They kind of have the right, point of view for today and they only want to make films they haven't seen when they did cloudy that was the first what i call cartoony cg animation it was more like a cartoon than it was you know the puppets that you see in shrek or even frozen whereas you know they, they really brought back some hand-drawn element to it 
Then they did Lego, which was a complete weirdo thing, and they made a hit out of that. And then they, uh, Spider-Man is the most refreshing, innovative, progressive animated feature I've seen in, well, I've seen a lot of them, but that this was totally a new vision. They probably won't make another movie like that. They, these guys are just going to move on to the next thing. They're on the side of what's going on in the business. There's a lot of independence, foreign animation, and certainly students that are going to make things really, really cool in the future. As far as I'm concerned, I'm teaching, I'm blogging, I have book ideas. I'm also speaking to several of the studios. Right now, it's just in the speaking phase about their libraries and on what they could do with them. And I hope that they'll take me up on some of those ideas. So that's, that's what I'm doing. It's exciting. It's a great period. We're in a boom. The last time we were in a boom was in the 90s. So 20 years later or so, 15, whatever it is, we're in another boom period. Everybody in, who's in the animation world is employed. Everybody in the animation world didn't have to not work during the pandemic because everybody's working at home it, without any problem, including the voice actors, the writers. The, everybody's working at home. Animation, unlike live action, didn't stop for a second. Animation is extremely healthy and it's a really, really good place to be. And believe me, as we talked about, I was, you know, I started off when it was dead. It couldn't be deader in, than, than the 1970s. It was really a dead thing. And uh, it's very healthy right now. Well, that's great. Jerry Beck, animation historian, cartoon producer, book author, and editor, blogger. Great insights for people who love cartoons. Where can people find you if they want to come over and scope you out, find out, maybe even reach out to you, get in touch? Where would they reach you at either uh, Animation Scoop or the Cartoon Research blogs? Right. Where do they find you? I recommend going to the Cartoon Research blog. Uh, both of them have, I think, my email, a way you can contact me on, on either. Cartoon Research, you can actually read my bio. <laughs> you could you could see a, a page about all the books I've written. Plus, uh, you should hang out and enjoy some of the articles that are there because whatever you can think of, put in the uh, search box. And if you're thinking, I'll stump them, I'll put the most obscure thing I saw when I was a kid. Probably we wrote about it somewhere. Yeah, those are the main main places one could hang out with me online. Excellent. And as far as buying your books, because they say, uh -huh. oh my gosh, this guy is such the guy and I have to go get a copy of uh, Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies or those great books of animation mm -hmm. art, where would they best find your books? Would that well, be obvious, obviously Amazon. on Amazon. I mean, you can go on eBay as well. And the good news is most of them are reasonably priced, I have to admit. I mean, a few of them are... A a lot of them are out of print, but occasionally you'll see one that's like $300, you know, because it's out of print and it's hard to get. But most of them are, are, are reasonably impressive. If you're lucky, Amazon will be selling it for 14 cents or something like that. Some, once in a while, they have too many of them and they want to get rid of them and they have some crazy practically giving them away free. But that's uh, not but, but at 14 cents a book, I'm sure that probably reduces your royalty now, doesn't it, Jerry? Uh, <laughs> luckily... Luckily, that 14 cent book is one. A couple of my books are, are what they call work for hire. So I don't actually get royalties on some of the what I call the 14 cent books. But uh, that's okay. Check them out. They're all great. You, my, I got great reviews from a lot of the user reviews. So I'm proud of all that stuff. And well, you should be. Folks, thanks for listening. Our guest, Jerry Beck. Jerry, thanks for coming out and doing some cartoon time with us. This has been loads of fun. All right. Thank you. All right. We'll do it again sometime. You take good care. You too.